Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle L. Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. The NFL season officially in the books. We welcome you into Fantasy Sports Daily. Kyle Elfrink and a, uh, I don't know, accepting Ray Flowers, uh, longtime, lifetime San Francisco 49er fan. He enjoyed the game last night, I'm guessing. But Ray, you hated the outcome as Kansas City wins it in overtime 25 to 22 last night. Yeah, and you know, it, it's one of those scenarios where I, I am lifelong born and raised in the Bay Area. My dad was, my grandparents came here in the 1920s and 30s, so I've been here forever. And You know, we've been spoiled. I mean, in my lifetime, right, this started when I was a young kid, under under 10 years of age, they started winning Super Bowls. And even recently, they've had all this success, but it has been a while since they won the big show. Uh, and, you know, with the way it ended, was was very poetic yesterday, but it was kind of a, a night to the old heart if you're a Niner fan. Yeah, what are you up to, 30 years or so without a Super Bowl? I think, yeah, 29, 30 years. I think the last one was was it against the Chargers when Steve Young, I think it's yeah. been 29 or 30 years, yeah. Yeah, great run, great game. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest Super Bowl ever. You know, the ending might have been, but overall, when you have, uh, what, 58 of these now in the books, uh, there are a lot of very good Super Bowls. And that one, which we'll talk about, was a little lacking uh, for about 70% of the action, at least if you're a non-football fan, which, you know, probably 80% of the viewers last night kind of were. Uh, but anyway, it, it ended with a bang. Hopefully you got to stay up. Hopefully you got to enjoy the fourth quarter overtime, which we never get to see in the Super Bowl. Uh, fun times. And of course, today we will recap all of it. Yes, indeed. Super Bowl 58, another Super Bowl championship for the Kansas City Chiefs. That is now a three of them in the last five years. That makes it a dynasty, right, Ray? You're cool with that, right? Three yeah, I, I think, it, yeah. I mean, the same coach, the same quarterback, pieces changing around. But usually when you've got those two pieces in place, I'm comfortable calling it a dynasty. Remarkably, um, Ray, they've now been in four Super Bowls in the last five years. They've gone three and one. They've actually been outscored in those four Super Bowls, I think by like five or six points. Um, they've been outscored by, but hey, they've got three rigs. So it's it's a very thin line between a Super Bowl dynasty and the Buffalo Bills. That, that could be the Kansas City Chiefs if things had gone slightly in the other direction. Um, good game. Slow build, furious end. Patrick Mahomes, an MVP yet again. Uh, Shanahan on the 49ers coming up short yet again. Ray and I will discuss all of it. And then we will make the move to all things baseball which, uh, you know, Ray's a little down today. So the best way to bring up his spirits is saying, hey, Ray, moving forward, it's going to be like 90% baseball. So there you go. That is your gift on this Monday morning. Um, Here's what we're doing. And if you've been with us the last two, three weeks, you've been getting a lot of this. We're now just going to really lean into this. Uh, Ray has been spotlighting an article each and every day from his uh, Fantasy Guru Baseball Draft Guide. That is available as we speak, by the way. We'll tell you where you can find that and how you can make that a part of your life for 2024 in just a bit. Uh, today, we'll be talking about something known as CSW, which I don't think any fantasy leagues at all score. And we're not going to talk about it from, hey, you got to add this to your fantasy league. But it is a way to uh, look at a pitcher. It is a stat that helps you get under the hood, if you will, of a pitcher to see maybe who's truly up to form when it comes to things like strikeouts. So we'll talk about CSW. This week, we will preview all things third base. Last week was second base. The week before was first base. The week before that was catcher. Making our way around the horn here on Fantasy Sports Daily. So we'll open up things with third base studs from last year, give you the category leaders, and we'll ask the one big question as we get rolling with that position. And then another thing that we are beginning for the first time today, if you're just tuning in and wanting baseball, today's the day. Football's in the rearview mirror. So today, Ray, we begin our team-by-team previews. We start alphabetically by city, or in this case, by state. Um, Arizona, the Diamondbacks, Ray, will lead off, uh, let's remind everybody, NL champion Arizona Diamondbacks. They did knock off the LA Dodgers (laughs) last year. You got to remind people sometimes that, yes, the Diamondbacks were actually pretty damn good last year. Well, they're so young, and they were kind of a Cinderella story, right? So, yeah, maybe some people have forgotten. They weren't expected, obviously, to to be where they ended up at the end of the season. Got at least one superstar in Corbin Carroll. 
And then some other players that uh, you might have to hedge on. You might be going back and forth on. Ray and I will spotlight uh, the many possibilities there in that Diamondbacks team, including a player profile, a little bit of a deep dive into uh, Christian Walker. We'll have a player profile for each and every team. And again, we'll be doing that daily uh, from here moving forward on FSD. Uh, also some trade news that we'll talk about. Miami adding some depth to their roster on the eve of training camp. Okay, Ray, fantasy baseball guide. It's up. It's available. Been about a month, I guess. So I know the early birds got in, but there might be some uh, late arriving birds that are showing up today and they're mm -hmm. ready for baseball. And they're saying, man, I'm, I'm just so fired up. I can't get enough. Where, where do I go to quench this baseball thirst? You have their answer, right? Absolutely. Uh, we have the DFS and wagering aspect of things to come. But right now, if you need that quench, that thirst quenched, if you will, uh, go to fantasyguru.com. Click on the Join Now tab in the top right. You can also use the link that's available right there on the screen. If you want to go directly there. Make sure you use the promo code FSD20, that's FSD20, that gets you a discount on all our products, whether it's baseball or not. But that drops the early bird pricing of $50 down to $40. And as Kyle said all the time, that's not enough, but that's what we're charging right now. 40 bucks gets you through the, to the Super, uh, World Series, excuse me. So it's all the way through the regular season. It's not just the preseason, it's all the way through. And you get access to Discord, uh, you get access to all the articles, you get access to all the advice, the rankings, and... You know, we've got right now dynasty rankings. We've got you know, AL, NL only rankings, mixed league rankings, auction values, power speed grades. We've got all these kind of things here. And we'll also continue that through the season. We update the rankings the first day of every month in the season, which is a nice little benefit. I know people kind of sporadically do that around the world uh, here at fantasyguru.com. We do it the first of every month. So join right now, FSD20. Get you that 20% discount. And again, Kyle, it gets you the coverage throughout the entirety of the season. For Major League Baseball. And, uh, of course, uh, you get this, too. We'll, we'll throw this in for free. Yeah. <laughs> you get to watch Ray and I uh, pretty well every day. So that is where we stand on the baseball side as we sit here on February the 12th, getting set not only for the uh, baseball season, which we're going to delve into here in a bit, but now the NFL offseason is upon us. So free agency. Um, of course, the draft process. Probably some trades out there. Maybe some cuts. As we reach uh, dates where money becomes guaranteed, of course, we'll be following that as well. Let us uh, talk about that big game last night, Ray. Um, as noted, I think if, you know, if you've been following football all season, which a vast majority of our audience, these are people that live it and breathe it. Um, you know, some people might look at that score and say, oh, what a boring game. And the third quarter was kind of a uh, punting exhibition. But I, I enjoyed it, Ray. I, I look at, and obviously the main focus is fourth quarter OT, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But, but I look at that early portion of the game, and, and two things to me stand out. Um, this was a game where mistakes were being made on both sides, whether it was flags or penalties or interceptions or fumbles. It's kind of sloppy for both teams early on. And the second thing that really, and I, I think it does pertain to how this game ended up, San Francisco had a great opportunity, Ray, to bury Kansas City in that first half. Kansas City did not play well. Uh, their only even halfway decent drive was at the very end of the first half, and they settled for a field goal. It, it had to be a little deflating for San Francisco to leave the first half and only be up 10-3 to because Kansas City didn't look right, and, and San Francisco left a lot of points on the table, I thought, in the first half. Yeah, they did. And, and I mean, I think even if you look at the totality of the game, you can make the argument the Niners played a better football game. Now, Teams play the better football game all the time and lose, so this is not this happens all the time. But yeah, that was that was a not a dominant effort because of the way the scoreboard showed. But the Niners were in total control of that game in the first half, total yeah. control. Uh, they locked the Chiefs down. Their defense was was making stops. Their offense was moving the football, uh, but they just couldn't get in the end zone. And you know when that was you know when one team fumbles and the other team fumbles, he's kind of even things out. I think that. Obviously, one of the biggest plays of the game was the the kick that hit dude on the foot. And you know, how Ooh. often does that happen over the course of a season? That's that's a ridiculous way for the Chiefs <laughs> to get back in the game uh, in the second half because obviously the Niners were still in charge there. But the Niners and I said this as we're watching, as I'm assuming you did, and a lot of listeners like Niners are winning this game pretty handily. But look at the scoreboard; that's yeah. just not good if you're a Niners fan. Yeah, and, and that first drive, Ray, like seriously, and, and every team does this, and certainly when you have two weeks to prepare, you really invest in this. But San Francisco, who's known for their offense and kind of being creative and moving, 
they, they came out on the first five plays, right? It was right down the football field. I, I mean, and McCaffrey had four of the first five touches. And unfortunately, of all guys to fumble, Christian McCaffrey gives it up. And, and they were totally on their way to the end zone on that drive. Kansas yep. City's defense had not put up much of a, a backbone at all on that drive. And and you just wonder, you know, if if, <laughs> if they score there, where do things stand? And it, it happened so early and so much happened that it's a true what if and nothing would be guaranteed. But I, I think San Francisco came out ready, ready to burn, ready to play. And, and even defensively and, and for the whole game, right? I thought their defense, considering what they were up against with, you know, the green law thing was just crazy. Like it's, it's just how, who predicts that? Who can plan for that? The secondary really stepped up. The front four got pressure on Mahomes, I, I thought, for a majority of the game. They didn't always get sacks, but they were doing their job. And the secondary did their job. I thought they held up pretty well. And you see it in the numbers. I know there were some designed runs for Patrick Mahomes. But, Ray, he was he was having to avoid pressure and gain yardage with his legs, which usually he doesn't have to do too much. Yeah, and I think, I mean, even in retrospect, I mean, obviously the Niners lose the game 25 to 22, but if you objectively analyze how the game played out, you'd have to say as on the Niners side of things, this pretty much went the way we thought it would go if we won a football game. Like yeah. you're, they, were, they weren't in control of the game, but they were managing the game well. They were limiting the big plays for the Chiefs, to your point. Uh, the Chiefs had a, a real struggle consistently getting things going until very late in the game, of course. Uh, and so the Niners did what they needed to do. I mean, that's on both sides of the, the, the football field. And they're injuries, and you can't blame injuries, right? Because each team's dealing with things. Things are happening. But Greenlaw running off the sidelines, like that, that was a big deal, uh, that mm -hmm. injury there. And they talked a lot about that on the broadcast. Then Debo Samuel tweaked his hamstring. Then George Kittle hurt his shoulder. And you're just watching this, and you can't help as a Niner fan but think of, you know, last year when Purdy blew his arm up. And it's just like, man, and, you know, you can't. You know, it's so hard to win, and then you start losing these key pieces, and it makes it more difficult. But I think in general, the, the the game plan the Niners had was a good one, that they executed it well. They just got beat in the end. Yeah, and, and it was in the end because for three quarters, Kansas City wasn't doing much. And before that, that muffed punt, I guess, but there were circumstances beyond just the fumble. I mean, Ray Ray McLeod. You know, he told everybody to get away from the football. And then he saw that somebody had caught it on the back of their foot. He tried to make up for it, um, wasn't able to hold on to the football. And that that really did give Kansas City a spark. And, and Ray, it was night and day, that fourth quarter and certainly in overtime, Kansas City just started doing – and it wasn't like anything like, oh, man, they're throwing 30 yards down the field and what a huge catcher. It was just consistent offensive play calling. And, you know, I'm always wary of celebrating the quarterback too much, but – Ray, that was an example last night where the quarterback was just totally in control. And Patrick Mahomes, my, my wife, who hates football, mainly because I have to watch it all the time. So she gets tired of football, but she's watching this game. And uh, Ray, I, I I had to do some stuff with Sirius XM. So I left the viewing and went to here to, to do my show. So she was left upstairs by herself and she actually stayed and watched the game. Okay. And she was telling me, she goes, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I'm just looking at the, you know, Patrick Mahomes, she kind of knows whatever, mm -hmm. but she's like, I'm just looking and I'm like, he's his eye. It's in his eyes. Like he's a leader and, and they're going to win. And she just knew, and she was entertained by it. She was excited. She stayed up through OT and, and even she recognized what Mahomes kind of brought to the table. Um, and that is where a quarterback kind of separates himself from the pack and, you know, the, the, the low pulse or whatever you want to call it. And, and obviously, you know, if Nicole Hardman, like every other Kansas City pass catcher, drops that wide open pass there, you know, we're talking about other things. But it, it was impressive how Mahomes kind of just dissected San Francisco over those last two quarters after really struggling for the first three quarters of the game. Yeah, and Optus Stats put this out, and it's kind of choose your numbers here, but this is, I mean, it really tells you exactly what happened at the end. Mahomes is the only quarterback in 30 years, so decades, in any game, regular season or postseason, to rush for 27 yards on a drive and go eight for eight as a passer. Huh. And so, you know, and it was the overtime drive, right? And that's yeah. that's the thing. And, and so I was with my lady after the game, too, because we watched it together. And, you know, she kind of said, what do you think? And I said, look, you know, when because we're Niner fans. When you get beat by the best, you get beat by the best. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not – this is not yeah. a four-string guy. This is not luck. This is – you know, we – they were presented an opportunity, and no matter what had happened all season long, the struggles to pr produce points consistently, the struggles with the offense, the drops, all that kind of stuff, in the end, the best came through. And that's what separates 
not even the best. That's what separates the best from the all-time greats. Yeah. Because there are a lot of bests that don't do that late in the game. You, you got to tip your cap to Mahomes. He and, and Andy Reid and the crew there, they won the football game. And you got to, you got to, got to appreciate that as a football fan, even if you're a Niner fan. You got to appreciate the fact that this wasn't a rando. This wasn't a, this was a team that just knew what they needed to do. They went down and did it and they won a football game. And, and I, I go back right to in overtime when they're facing. I guess officially fourth in a yard, but fourth in less than a yard at their own 34, they have to go for it. Right. And they call design play for Patrick Mahomes. You know, Lamar Jackson, you expect it. Right. (laughs) Patrick, and it's almost like this guy's going to get it. We're not going to hand off to Isaiah Pacheco and allow them, but we're going to go down swinging with Patrick Mahomes. And I will honestly tell you, Ray, if I'm there, I'm one of these, run it with your running back. You know, that's what I'm doing. Right. You give it to you, and I get it. That was gutsy. That was yeah, gutsy. And he got what seven or eight yards, yeah. and and his legs were really important in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, avoiding sacks, he was under pressure. Guys hanging around. There was a time where he had broken away from pressure, and two 49ers came from behind trying to stabbing at the football. And if you watch the replay, he's smart enough to know that that is coming, and he tucks it underneath. A lot of QBs would still be holding it down and allow the football to be knocked loose, and he was not perfect. Um, you know, but his interception was terrible. It was a bad throw. Um, I will note that's the only interception he's thrown in the last two postseasons. Mm-hmm. He's seven and oh, I think it's 13 touchdowns and one pick in the last two postseasons with the two Super Bowl rings. And and Ray, it's one of those things like Brady, you can't you can't argue against Tom Brady. Like it got to a point where you can't, and it's it's pretty well there with Mahomes. Like you can't sit there and argue. It's just like he's freaking great. You know, he's, he's pretty incredible. And, and, you know, in that game, nothing from Travis Kelsey early and he came alive late. Uh, Rasheed Rice made a couple of nice catches, but he wasn't hugely involved here. And it's still the fact, Ray, that their touchdowns came from two below average receivers. You know, Michael Hardman was anyone could have had Michael Hardman this year. Anybody. True story. Yes. And, and, and Marquez Valdez Scantling, you know, he'll have a touchdown every now and then, but he's like really a fourth receiver almost. And, and it speaks to the Chiefs and how they're built and how they play that those two guys come up with the touchdowns last night. Yeah, and it'll be fascinating to see, obviously, all the NFL, right? All the movement that'll take place during the offseason. But yeah, what are they going to do? Because, you know, you won a Super Bowl. So what you did worked, right? Do we <laughs> yeah. need to bring in receivers Do we, or do we go through this again? It was not an easy road to get yeah. there, right? It was much more challenging than it should have been. But how how different is the plan in this offseason? You know, since we're hearing Kelsey's going to come back and Mahomes is going to be there and Randy Reed's going to come back. Yeah. How much do they change this thing up? Yeah, and and this is another part of the secret sauce and it'll, well, it's been talked about leading up to the game. We've talked about it here on the show. They're paying Patrick Mahomes a ton. And uh, we've talked about it for years now. Once you, once you, and and this speaks to there's a lot of QB decisions out there of oh God, we're we gonna pay this, and and I get it when you're committing that much and the guy maybe isn't to the to the level of Patrick Mahomes, it it can hurt you, it can sting you. Luckily, Ray, the guy they've got, the guy they're paying, Patrick Mahomes, is Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Additionally, though, I think seven of their eleven defensive starters last night were guys they've drafted since 2020. Mm-hmm. like they've done awesome on the draft. I give them credit for saying, wow, we swung and missed with Sky Moore. Let's double down and go Rasheed Rice. They knew they had to get that. Um, and and Ray, they've just, you know, they let Tyreek Hill move on. Yeah. A lot of teams would make that decision. Oh, right. <laughs> a lot of teams would have paid up. So I, I think, you know, these are things where you give credit to a coaching staff and GM as well. For sure. Of chancing it. And the guys who scout and the guys making those draft picks, you know, Patrick Mahomes, they got the maybe the greatest quarterback of the last 25, well, the second greatest quarterback of the last 25 years. They have maybe the greatest tight end ever. Other than that, Ray, you know, they, they've earned these mm-hmm. victories. Um, the, the AFC is not a cakewalk. Buffalo's been good. Cincinnati's been good. Baltimore's been good. Their team's making pushes against Kansas. It, it's damn impressive, Ray. I, I don't discount what we're seeing at all for Kansas City. Yeah, and we had a brief discussion, my lady and I, last night about where, you know, how good is Patrick Mahomes? She's like, I've seen this guy because she's like, your lady, it's like, doesn't watch a lot of football. She's like, I see this guy all the time. And I'm like, you know, we're in the zone of he's he's coming up on Brady, and it sounds stupid because Brady played for 20 years and six championships, but it's like, coach and quarterback, here we go. It's the same kind of thing. 
And so then we got into discussion, well, who's the more talented quarterback and how much mm-hmm. of it is the coaching and the, the team and all that kind of stuff. But it sounds when, like you and your lady should have a show, Ray. Maybe yeah, yeah we could have bottled up that. Yeah, we had a good 45 minute discussion last night. I think she was trying to help me out so that I didn't go and drink uh, 13 beers when they lost the game. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's that discussion of not how good are they. It's the greatness discussion. And when you're Patrick Mahomes, what has he played? Seven, eight years? Like he's not even, he's halfway through his career, maybe, maybe not even. And he's already being mentioned, Hall of Fame, greatness. Like that just shows you how special he is, uh, how his head coach and coaching staff, Spagnola, the defense, all the stuff you're talking about. They, they've they done some questionable things over the years. The, uh, the Chiefs have, I think, had some off the field issues that yeah. should have been more important that weren't. They've kind of said, we're going to play football and who cares about the rest of the stuff. But you can't argue with what the team has done from the players to the coaches to the front office, to your point, Kyle, they've built this and it hasn't just been four guys the whole time. They've continued to build and retool and that's damn impressive. And uh, Mahomes is only the second quarterback uh, to have three Super Bowl rings before he turned 30. He's 28, so he'll be 29 next year. Uh, the other guy is not Brady, by the way, it's Troy Aikman. And and I bring up that, Ray, because Troy Aikman and the Dallas Cowboys were a dynasty in the 90s and, and they were dominant. And uh, after three, we thought four, then we thought mm-hmm. five, and and they didn't get four and five. In fact, they haven't won since that third one by Aikman. So I, I know everybody expects Mahomes to like, he's going to go for Brady's number. I mean, that's I get it after last night and where we're at on the age spectrum, uh, but it's difficult. Um, and again, it speaks to how awesome New England is. Here's another number. Mahomes, with his next postseason win, will tie Joe Montana. Uh, for postseason wins, they will both have 16. That's second. Tom Brady, of course, is number one. Ray, he has 35 postseason wins. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, well, that was the thing we were discussing last night. It's like, how do you, like, who's better? Like, I think if we X and O'd this thing, we'd say Patrick Mahomes has more talent, yeah. right? Okay. At their peak, who would you rather have? Right. Probably Mahomes. Right. right. But then when you start talking about 20 years and you talk about always oh, oh, being there, and, and, and I think this year with the Chiefs, what they did to get here, is very much like Belichick and Brady, right? Because we the, the Chiefs, there was a point in the season where the Chiefs were like, are they even going to make the playoffs? Like it was, mm-hmm. this yeah. was not. So they're showing the ability to have, you know, moderately successful regular seasons and then dial it up during the postseason, which is what you have to do to, you know, reach these astounding numbers. But yeah, man, you're, you're halfway there. And on paper, it looks great, but you're halfway there. And it's, oh, we're halfway <laughs> there. You're halfway there. And this is a tough, I mean, the, the Chiefs next year could go nine and nine and eight. Right. Like it could happen. So, yeah, you can't you could always play the game and it's fun. You're drinking beers. But the actual actuality of doing it is so difficult year after year. Uh, When you say you're halfway there, it's almost like you're not halfway there. You know, it's Mm -hmm. such a, a feat to get there for 20 years like that duo in New England did. Yeah. And and you referenced uh sounds like Kelsey Reed, obviously Mahomes, Pacheco, Rice. These guys are all back. Uh, there'll be a little bit of switching, but overall, it's the same team coming back next year. Kind of the same for San Francisco. Um, you know, you'd have to expect Debo, Ayuk, McCaffrey, Purdy, Kittle, all these guys are back. Um, so that's where we stand 25-22. And now we enter the offseason, but congratulations to the Chiefs and uh, Niners. I guess go get them next year if you'd like. <laughs> Rest of the NFL, come on, your, your move now. Uh, trying to knock off the Chiefs. Uh, any commercials, uh, Ray, you wanted to reference? Anything stand out on the commercial? Front? You know, we talked about that, too. And I eh, like I, I like the Beyonce one where she's trying to take over the world and everything. Um, but I guess it was a Verizon commercial. But not really. Did you have anything that's the same? I, I actually did. I did okay. write down a few things, Ray. Okay. Okay. Um, first off, Chris Pratt. Why, why do I know him more for his commercials than his like movies? That was good when he holds up the Pringles yeah, cans. Like, he's more of a commercial guy than a movie guy. And I'm not a movie. I know Chris Pratt's an actor, but I feel like he's a commercial guy. He's <laughs> been in movies that have probably generated $5 billion, Kyle, but you know, okay. I, I will say it's weird. I think what, what were the, they cost 7 million bucks. Is that how much it Something cost? Like that, yeah. I, I didn't expect Ray to be watching commercials that are $7 million and see ads for fishing boats. And and like four wheel gators, like four wheel drive, <laughs> for, for as low as nine dollars a day, pal. It's broken beers. I was like, they sell. I didn't even know they sell boats at Bass Pro Shop. Right, sell boats. Um, along those same lines, you know, spending seven mil a pop. Jesus must have had a great year in revenue because uh, two ads for for 
Jesus. So that, that's a good year for him. <laughs> Every time we watch a football game together, because mostly we don't, because it's like your scenario where I'm watching him all, all season long. <laughs> She's like, every time we watch a football game, there's a Jesus commercial. I go, there is. It's really wild. <laughs> um, it's good to see that 40 years later, we are still pitying fools with Mr. T. I mean, isn't it remarkable, right? <laughs> this guy literally was a thing for about three or four years. Yep. Had a catchphrase. Yep. And the catchphrase is still being used. By the same guy, forty some odd years later, it's impressive. Do you wonder, like, if he, if his high heyday wasn't in the eighties, if it was right now, would it would it, we be talking about him after his death with it? Like, because social media and stuff didn't even exist when this began. Maybe that helped yeah. him. I don't know, but yeah, that I pity the fool. That's um, he, he doesn't look the same as Clubber Lang days, but hey, he's still he's still a menacing figure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to run into him in a in a dark alley. Right? He's Mister T, man. The guy's a bad man. He's a yep. bad man. Um, I, you know, even going further back, okay, it was probably the last seven million dollars left in the campaign coffers. But RFK Jr. Man, right? He really just he, he just took an ad from 1966 and repurposed it. For I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. He just, he just RFK. Let's just take his face off and replace it. Um, yeah, but yeah I kind of like the, the the vibe of it. I'm <laughs> yeah. into that, but yeah, it was it was different. Yeah, it was a callback, certainly. Yeah. Um. We didn't. I don't think we saw an Amazon ad, but we saw three ads for Timu. So yeah. I guess they're they're coming for you, Amazon Timu. Yeah, my my lady's in the kitchen, like doing the the wings and stuff, and she's like, "What the hell is that song?" I'm like, "I don't know. It's something orange." Oh, I guess it's Timu. I don't know what that yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I liked the Christopher Walken okay. commercial. Yeah, that was entertaining. And then a lot, of, you know, no Amazon. I don't think there was a Meta commercial like That's Facebook. No Amazon. Was there Netflix? I don't think. I don't recall one. I don't recall Apple. I they, they had the halftime show. Was the Apple okay, halftime show? But halftime. I don't think there was a commercial. Yeah. Was there a Microsoft? I don't think so. I don't think there was. There I, I bring all this up, Ray, because these are companies that that make some money and they're like probably the top five or six mm-hmm. most valuable companies. <laughs> Yeah, and they seem to have no interest in advertising at the Super Bowl, which was kind of weird. And, and maybe it's a maybe it's a chance for the little guy to blow the ad budget every year, you know, to, to for Reese's peanut butter cups to remind people that they exist. Yeah, but with uh, caramel in them, Ugh. That's, <laughs> know, that's terrible. Uh, but I, I thought that was telling that companies that seem to do well. Don't advertise at this game. <laughs> well, I know that uh, this morning I got the old uh, Explorer update in my little tab here for uh, what they're calling Copilot, which oh. is the new AI for uh, for Microsoft. So I guess they're waiting until after the day after the game to to okay. bludgeon people to death with their new plant business plan of using AI. I, I think that and here's some. This will change your keyboard, Ray. I think they're adding a new key. Really. Uh, an AI or co-pilot key okay. that is going to be added to the keyboard. And I think it's like the first change since Windows 95 when they added like that Windows button mm-hmm. on the keyboard. Right. Which I don't even think there's a Windows button anymore on the key. Oh, yeah, there is. There is there a window button. I don't have one, but I've got a Logitech keyboard. So I don't yeah. Actually, yeah. So anyway, that'll be coming to a, a keyboard near you. But anyway, so there we are. Uh, ads, games, everything. Um, with that, Ray, baseball. Your, your chance, Ray, to shine. You got these next few months to just beat us over the head with all sorts of baseball, okay? Yes. Um, now, we've been doing this for a few weeks, but uh, now at the end of the NFL season, no more playoffs, none of that stuff. Uh, we get a chance to kind of uh, really hit you with baseball each and every day. Uh, and that'll be the focus. Again, we'll have draft stuff, trades, if that happens. Ray and I will talk it over. And uh, we did a lot of the NFL recap stuff in previous weeks, so we don't have to sit here and bore you with that. And eventually come... May 1st, we'll probably be breaking down drafts. I, hey, Ray, you'll love this. Okay. I was in a slow draft that started a baseball slow draft. Okay. I want to say it started Thursday or something. Right. People were still drafting during the Super Bowl. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was rude that I had to keep up. And I know you're, hey, you're one of those guys, you hate slow drafts mm-hmm. anyway. And what you hate is they take so long. I don't know if you would have liked this, Ray, but I was a little perturbed. 
that I'm trying to watch the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. and I got to keep an eye on a slow baseball draft. It was a best ball draft as well, which made it a little easier to just click and not really care about it. Yeah. But I, I thought you might like that, that there are at least still some baseball diehards out there who are drafting during the Super Bowl. <laughs> so the, the Super Bowl really is, you know, it's the culmination of the year, right? But it's a culmination, like, for people like us for, like, seven months of work. Like, you know, no days off for seven months and your football, football. And it's like, why are my friends and family texting me during the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah. Like, can I just get four hours where you just don't? I mean, come on. This is seven months. It's culminating <laughs> in four hours. Just So I was a little, yeah. If I had had a slow draft to do, Kyle, I would have been the guy that that round that yeah. delayed the draft. Because I would not have been checking my phone. In fact, I didn't check my phone. I didn't check email. I didn't do it for hours yesterday because I was trying to watch and enjoy the last couple. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, let's keep it rolling with baseball. Let us start with the draft guide. Again, uh, pretty well every day we're kind of spotlighting an article or something uh, fresh, something new that Ray and the crew have posted. This draft guide, by the way, what you see today is going to evolve. It's going to grow. It's going to be added to. Um, certainly as spring training and news comes, there will be breakdowns and your access is available for season long with this draft guide. Uh, so this is, uh, as we like to say, the uh, the living draft guide. Um, and we've been spotlighting articles each and every day. Today, Ray, CSW, which we've talked a lot about other acronyms, categories, things, and, oh, maybe you could use this in your fantasy league. To, to say from the start, Ray, this is not something that is recommended as a scoring category. This is a number and a stat to look at that can help you figure out the worthiness, if you will, of a certain pitcher. I think that's a great way to say it. Yeah, I'm not advocating for replacing anything with this. I think this is more a tool to uh, break down the performance of, of pitchers. Uh, and as you see there on the screen, um, Alex Fast created this. He was the 2019 FSWA uh, Research Article of the Year, a winner for the idea. They now carry this number over at Fangraph, so you can find it on every pitcher's page. So it's really made an impact. Uh, and I think there's some predictive value to it, which is nice because a lot of the, the a lot of the numbers we don't really feel comfortable saying that with. But it's it's a way to look at pitching and kind of drill down a little bit beyond the surface numbers to to give you a handle on are the surface numbers earned or is there something else going on that might even get us excited about the the player on the on the bump stand that maybe they're even better than it appears on the surface. So CSW uh, Ray called strikes whiffs and total pitches. Now whiffs is swings and misses. Mm -hmm not getting 165 strikeouts. This is, in effect, Ray, taking a look at every single pitch and trying to give you a level of dominance, I guess you would call it, for a pitcher. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I thought we were going to keep going. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Uh, and, you know, there are obviously two ways to strike out looking or swinging. Uh, a lot of the strikeout measures we talked earlier, I think it was last week, right, about K per nine moving to K rate. Uh, this is kind of taking things even further because we're trying to – dominance is a good way to put it. And, and when you when you pull back and you think about it, guys like Marcus Stroman have had success for years. They're ground ball guys. They don't miss a lot of bats. Okay, so there's always a limitation when we're using any tool to analyze players because there's players that are outside the norm mm -hmm. that can have success because of something else they do. Oh, I got a 59% ground ball rate, which is fantastic. Most pitchers don't have that, right? Most pitchers are not extreme ground ball pitchers. So how do we put these guys uh, to the test? Because a good two or three weeks or, you know, five or six starts, we might see huge strikeout numbers from a guy. We might see really small strikeout numbers from the guy. And whereas 20 years ago, it was really difficult because we didn't have the tools to break down. Is this, has this guy been unfortunate? Has he been unlucky, if you will? Has he been fortunate? Thing like CSW pulls back from that and says, let's not worry about whether the guy actually struck out or not. Let's worry about how the, the bats unfold, how the pitches are being, you know, handled by the batters and take a look at it more globally, Kyle. And uh, it's always worth noting, what am I looking for? You know, okay, Ray, I, I want to look for this stuff. What's good? What's bad? You can see the leaders at the bottom. No surprise. Who's always at the top when we talk about strikeouts and velocity. It's, it's always Spencer Strider. And, and he's up there, Ray, by a pretty significant margin. I mean, he is 10% better in this particular category, the number two, mm -hmm. uh, his number Strider 33, eight and uh, Blake Snell sitting at 30.8. I got to say, I didn't see Charlie Morton showing up on this list. Number three on this list uh, overall last season. Yeah. Morton's fascinating because he's 40 years old now. And you know, his ERA a couple years ago was mid fours almost. And kind of people are like, ah, 
He won 14 games last year, and despite his advancing age, he had 183 strikeouts, which was actually a five full season if you take COVID out. A five full season low. 183 strikeouts is a good number in this day and age, and it was a five season low. It was his first season under 200 strikeouts. But one of the reasons why he didn't get the 200 strikeouts was merely a function of he threw 160 innings instead of 180. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Charlie Morton in the, the old curveball. Uh, the, the veterans still got some old tricks. You know, they're rough routings, and when he doesn't have his control, things can get away from him a little bit more than they used to. But he's still a very effective curler for the Braves. Well, and, and I wanted to ask you, Ray, um, and maybe Morton is a, a good test case of this, how sticky mm-hmm. is CSW from year to year? And let me find it for Morton. Maybe you have it in front of you. I yeah. Uh, his CSW percentage, um, has it always been high or was last year kind of a one-off for him? Yeah, it's always been high. If you look at his numbers since 2016, uh, we're at 32%, 30%, 31%, 32%. He's only had one season below 29.7, which as yeah. you can see there on the screen is substantially above the league average. The only season he was below that was during COVID, the COVID shortened season of 2020. So yeah, he's always been He's always been a threat to be a top 10 guy in CSW. And again, we've seen that reflected in his overall performance where it's been at least 180 strikeouts in each of the, the, the five last full seasons. League average, as you can see, 27.6. So, Ray, I guess are you kind of elite, maybe 29 or higher? Is that kind of whenever you're getting into like the, the oh, that's the two and a half ERA is kind of the 29 or higher in terms of that CSW number? Yeah, yeah, that's a good number. Last year amongst ERA qualifiers, 15 pitchers got there. So 15 of 44. So about a third. But yeah. you have to understand, too, that when we start lowering that number for innings pitch, um, that number starts to, to come down. So 29 starts to elevate itself because then we start getting the guys that struggle to make 18 starts and that kind of thing. Uh, it's also interesting to note, obviously, that we can have, again, starting pitchers, this is why the number's not on its own totally indicative of success. You can be an extreme ground ball pitcher. I mentioned Marcus Stroman as an example. Uh, the CS num- CSW numbers often are elevated by relievers, of course, right? These guys can get high 30s, even into the 40% range, which can help you know skew the overall numbers. So yeah, I think if you're a starting pitcher and you're getting 29%, you're doing an excellent job. And, and this is one of those numbers, Ray, that I actually think in season, can help you out a lot. And and for those who are able to view this right now, I think it's critical to see that uh, last sentence and kind of the paragraph spot. CSW rate becomes viable, reliable perhaps, or it means something around a pitcher's 10th start. And Ray, what I love about that, and there are other stats like this where you say, okay, how many starts does it kind of feel like, okay, it's going to be this sort of year. Right. When, When you're on the waiver wire in may or june and your sp2 just went down mm-hmm. and you're looking for anybody that, that could maybe cover you for six or seven starts not to say the best csw guys are going to be there but by that point ray you're going to have 10 or 11 starts and i don't know if it's the only shortcut but it's kind of a shortcut to say and i'm looking at four guys off mm-hmm. the waiver wire they've all made let's say nine to 11 starts Who's got the best CSW number? And again, is it foolproof? Hell no. But Ray, that those guys may be floating around there. And by the time you get to that 10th start, you may feel comfortable. But, oh, this year is going to be different. Or this year, they, they, they are going to hold on to this improvement. It's not just a flash in the pan. Stats seem to indicate, studies seem to indicate mm-hmm. that this can hold steady uh, where you are in your 10th start, can hold steady to your 22nd start. Yeah, and a lot of numbers unfortunately, uh, especially the old school numbers, right? They're not indicative of what to expect. They're just telling you what's happened, mm-hmm. right? And there's value to that because you need to know what's happened. But you know, if we're trying to be predictive here and in, in season in that scenario you're talking about, we need to be predictive. We need to know if that guy that's dominant in the first half, is that likely to continue? Are there signs here of, well, let's be very nervous. Are there guys on the waiver wire, to your point? And a name that's come up many times, and I've done a lot of analysis this offseason at FantasyGuru.com, is Griffin Canning, who at one point in time was supposed to be somebody. He's had a ton of injuries. There's no telling. Can this guy throw 150 innings without his arm flying off? I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that last year there were some intriguing things in Griffin Canning's profile. And if you look at his number, uh, it was 29.5 in CSW, which, again, is over that threshold of 29. That's an elite number. I mean, he's sitting right there. He's right above Clayton Kershaw and Freddie Peralta, right? So then you see that. And you start digging in a little bit. So a guy like Canning, who has faults and warts and all that, would have been someone that was on the wave wire everywhere. 
And yeah. if you pick that up, you might have been able to get some solid starts out of the Angels hurler because that number was telling you that, you know, there's something going on here. I mean, we need to pay a little bit more attention to Mr. Candy. CSW, uh, Ray's got a write-up that uh, digs into it a bit more deeply and will present you some names to maybe uh, jot down and keep for draft day, so do check it out. Uh, again, we'll spotlight another uh, column coming up tomorrow. Uh, let's move along, and uh, again, we've got positional previews that Ray and I have been doing now for a few weeks now, and we've got team previews. Uh, we're going to start things off with Arizona coming up in a bit, but Ray, let's start with third base. Uh, that is a position we will be focusing on throughout the week here on the show. And as usual on a Monday, we kind of just use it as our entry point, our on-ramp to the position. Um, and we start with the studs of last season. Um, in terms of money earned amongst third basemen, Austin Riley, I don't know if he lapped the field, but he was the number one dude at third base. I was looking over at Rasball Ray, $30.20 is what he earned. Number two was Jose Ramirez at $23.9. So a, pr a pretty big gap there between Austin Riley and Jose Ramirez. They were one and two. Uh, Raphael Devers, who just continues to hang around. I always feel like nobody perhaps gives him the credit he deserves. And, and maybe it's because he seems to be putting up numbers for just a bad team or a boring team, whatever it is. But Devers was third. Uh, Alex Bregman. Number four, now he was under $20 earned. There were only three third basemen, at least according to this ranking, that were over 20. Um, and again, that's Riley, Ramirez, Endeavors, Bregman fourth. Gunnar Henderson, who obviously is a bit of a gray area shortstop third base, but he earned 18.9. Max Muncy, who came back from the dead, frankly, um, had a huge, huge year, finished uh, number six. Hassan Kim, out of nowhere, mm -hmm. I mean, was massive last year, earned about $17. Here's another guy out of nowhere, Spencer Steer. And Steer, I don't even know if he's a third baseman. He's going to play outfield this season, it sounds like. But uh, he's one of those guys you can use everywhere. First base, third base, second base, outfield. Uh, but at third base, he, he was very valuable. Manny Machado just inside the top 10, although it wasn't a very good year. And Isaac Parades. So, Ray, at third base, I mean, you're seeing names like Muncie, Kim, Steer, and Parades. Nobody had those guys sitting in their top 10 a year ago at third base. No, and I think there were good reasons they didn't, right? That's not we didn't we didn't miss the you know, the community on, on a couple of those names. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, Steer, there were so many other young players that the Reds were excited about with better skills, to be fair, more exciting fantasy skills. But Steer was the guy that was out there every day, and to your point, different positions, getting it done, producing across the board. He had an excellent season. Uh Prades is is very interesting because he's He's a very tough one to break down because if you look at the pieces here, it's like, eh, like, it, you know, there's there's nothing that stands out. He's not a, a speed guy. I know he had 30 home runs, but it seemed like every home run he hit was 346 feet. Like they, they, he wasn't blasting 450. He was pulling everything. But there's kind of a consensus that he's understood what he's good at and is like mastered what he does. Hmm. And there's something to be said for that. It's kind of like Max Muncy. Like I'm going to hit 215. But I'm going to get on base a lot, and I'm going to blast 35 home runs. Yeah. When, when a player finds himself, if the organization is comfortable with who that is, players can have a lot of success. And I think that's kind of where Paredes is. You know, I wouldn't expect him to hit 30 home runs with almost 100 RBIs again, uh, but he's going to be effective, and he'll hit some home runs again for the race. Um, in terms of the category leaders, uh, your top batting average amongst third basemen, Jose Ramirez, uh, 282. Pretty low there. Kind <laughs> of surprising how low that is. Um, Austin Riley, 37 homers. Austin Riley, also 117 runs. Um, the forgotten category. He he did awesome in that category. Uh, Max Muncy, 105 ribbies. He also had 36 home runs, just one less than Austin Riley. Um, and then in terms of stolen bases, and this is why Jose Ramirez, because he didn't have a great year, but the stolen bases really helped him out. 28 stolen bases kind of lifted him up uh, to number two at third base. So those were your category leaders. Our one big question for this position as we kind of introduce you to third base, um, and two of these guys were top 10 players last year, uh, but I don't think, even though they were top 10, anybody was like celebrating with, with champagne about what they got from Manny Machado. Um, or, hey, man, Alex Bragg Bregman is back to being a superstar, and certainly Nolan Arenado. Ray, these are three guys that I think, there's at least a fair question to ask. Are they still great? Are they still elite? Are they still upper end third base options? Um, certainly Bregman was top five last year. Wasn't a beautiful year, but it was good enough for top five. Machado got into the top 10, uh, but he was behind his teammate, Hassan Kim of all things. 
And Arenado, Ray, he was there all season, and it just never clicked for him, really. Um, so your thoughts on these three guys who, for the last half decade, these guys have been one of the first third basemen off the board, and now you kind of sit here and say, are any of them in the top five, and are some of these guys outside the top ten now at third base? I think if we're looking at these three guys and say, you know, which one of these three could win an MVP in 2024? They all could, but which one's most likely? I think it'd be Manny Machado. He's only 31 years old. Last season, you know, I think it's one of those things where it, it's – he's Raphael Devers, who you mentioned, is kind of the ale version of Machado now. It's these guys that go out every year and they produce, and it's like, eh, you know. And then at the end, it's like, well, that guy has 2,600 hits and 1,400 RBIs in his career and 497 home runs. It's going to make it the Hall of Fame? Like, that's kind of – you know, Machado had 30 home runs and 91 RBIs, and we kind of go, eh. And yeah. it's like, you know, <laughs> if you pull back and think about it, it's pretty damn good, right, for an eh season. Uh, last time was really last year was really the first time he dealt with an injury that knocked him out of the lineup. It was the first time he hadn't played 150 plus games in a full season ever. And I think that's something that, you know, as you age, you start to worry about if that number goes back from 138 to 148 or 153, like it likely is, even if he does the same thing he did last year, now he's hitting 33 home runs with hundred RBIs and that's with no growth, right? That's just a continuation. Um, I think that he's got the best chance, but I think what all three of these guys have going for them really is that whether or not any of them bounce back substantially, the floor on all these guys is like elite. Like mm -hmm. what they did last year is the floor, right? That's, and I know Arenado, people are worried about his age, but in his back was an issue at the end, but he still almost went 30, hundred and he would have, if he hadn't gotten hurt. Right. So it's like yeah. the bar is really high for these three guys in terms of the floor, though the ceiling to your initial point, it's not quite where it was two years ago with these guys. You know, no, no none of these guys going to steal you a base. I mean, and, and that's right. If we could get 15 steals out of one of these guys, that would probably lift them above the other two. And you kind of think to yourself, well, that's Bregman, but it's not. I mean, look at his numbers. He he, he doesn't have the stolen base numbers anymore. Um, home runs, I feel good about Machado. I think batting in the middle of that lineup, you feel good about. You know, Bregman, it's a great lineup to be a part of, but he, he's shown a lot of like, I don't know if inconsistencies is fair, but Ray, it's almost like, well, he's a good player, but is he ever going to get back to what he was three years ago? I don't know yeah. if it's there. Arenado, I do worry about the back, Ray, uh, just because it it never got right last season. And obviously they can do, you know, postseason training and lifting and strengthening and all that. But we are now talking about a 33-year-old. And he, even defensively... He, he, and I watch a lot of Cardinal games. I'm here in St. Louis. I mean, he will make he has the moments, Ray, where it's like, holy moly, what a defensive play. I mean, they're just crazy. But those great plays just kind of punctuate how good he's been his whole life. He has the ability, but his defense is starting to slide overall. And you know, say what you will about gold gloves, but Ray, last year was the first year. I don't even think he finished in the top three in gold yeah. glove voting. So we, we've already seen the age kind of hit him defensively, which was his elite skill. I, I kind of think he's going to settle into this 260 hitter with 22 homers and 85 ribbies, which is fine, mm -hmm. but it, it barely gets you inside the top 10 probably at this position. Yeah. If he does that for another five or six years, he's in the hall of fame. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, we have to be honest about that, but yeah, I think that having concerns about him because of his age and because of the back is obviously fair. And, you know, looking at the rankings at fantasyguru.com. We have him, I think, ninth at third base. Okay. And all and, three of these guys, by the way, are going top 10 yeah. in ADP at the position. And that's the lowest Arenado has been in maybe ever since he really <laughs> broke out, right? And that's and that, that we're talking again. Arenado, his his first decade in, in the majors, has a case to be the best third baseman of all time. Like when you talk about the totality of his game, I mean, he's up there with the Mike Schmitz of the world, right? Like all, all around game because of his defense. And when you start slipping from that, it's it's difficult not to compare Arenado to Arenado four years ago. Let's not do that. Let's just say, what is right. he now? And again, I think hitting 265 with 24 home runs and 90 RBIs, which is basically what he did last year. I think that's totally in play this year. Am I expecting you know 35 home runs and 118 RBIs and a 290 average? No, I'm not expecting a return to the, the heyday, if you will. But in three years with St. Louis, he's basically averaged 30, 100. And I, I don't think there's a real reason right now. Maybe we can learn more about the back and then we get concerned. But I don't think there's a real reason right now to say that, you know, 2590 we feel comfortable with, mm -hmm. with the opportunity for him still to go 30 on. 
I, I don't have a real issue drafting any of these guys. It's just you used to draft them, and you're like, okay, third base is squared away. I'm set. Now you probably need some sort of backup just because of age, health, all those things. Not that you're going to bench these guys, but it's like something to where, you know, there, there used to be spots where you draft Nolan Arenado, and it's like I may have gotten the uh, fifth best hitter in all of baseball on my team. And it's, right. it's, right. it's just not that way anymore with Arenado. As Ray noted, all three of these guys are in your top ten, right, still? They're actually back to back to back, all in the top. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So back to back to back. And uh, Ray probably favors Machado the most of all those guys That's going fair. into the season. Uh, tomorrow, as we continue our third base discussion, we'll talk about some surprises. Obviously, we mentioned a couple of them today. We'll dig deeper into those surprises. Let us move along to our team preview, the first of many that will be coming your way. Uh, what do we have? Uh, 30 overall that'll come your way. Um, and we're going through this alphabetically. So we start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, Ray, where we're going to start with each of these teams is uh, kind of a, a thumbnail edition of one of your famous, uh, famous player profiles, which when, when do those, when do you plan to start putting those up, I guess, over on the draft guide or when's that going to happen? Good question. Let me, I actually, my schedule all worked out. I'll pull it up as we're talking. I've started to put the framework together. So they're in, in the hopper, if you will. Um, they will start on, I mean, where am I starting these suckers? Got Ray, learn how to read. Uh, I'm going to say they start in about a week and a half. Okay. And then basically what the plan is once we once we hit the last week of February, it's basically all player profiles. Okay. So it's gonna be like two a day for 40 days, right? So we'll, oh. we're gonna hit a lot of players in the draft out of fantasy. And, and these are not, you know, one paragraphs. These are these are a lot of digging with Ray Flowers. Uh, he's done this for years and they're always worth a read. E even if you're not interested in the player, read it. You may become interested or even less interested in the player. Um, for each team, we will give you, a, you know, a bit of the taste of, of what Ray does. Uh, for Arizona, Ray will start uh, with their slugger, a guy that, um, gosh, he's been on waiver wires, I feel like, the last couple of years. You know, he gets off to a bad start. He's hitting 180 and everybody dumps him. Um, and then you look up and you're like, wow, the guy kept playing and the guy showed a lot of power. It's Christian Walker who... Ray, nobody wants to see a gold glove. We don't care about that stuff. <laughs> He's standing there <laughs> Two with years in a row, Kyle. Let's give him some yeah, Hey, congratulations to Christian Walker. But we care about the hitter. We care about the fantasy player, Ray. The gold glove is cool and all, but it doesn't help us. Uh, give us a rundown. Christian Walker going into this season. Yeah, there are – in this – Walker was – and this is not a statement I would have anticipated saying a couple years ago. And it's only been two seasons. Unlike Bregman and Machado and Arenado have much longer time horizons for the statement – but if you look at the consistency in terms of the production that Walker has posted, it's elite. I'm not saying the numbers are elite. I'm saying the consistency he's posted is elite. The last two years have been near carbon copies of, of each other. And as you can see there on the graph on the screen, if you're able to, to watch this and you're not listening on podcasts, and if you are listening, if you don't know that, you can download the show on the podcast form. Uh, in addition to watching it on YouTube or seeing it over at fantasyviewer.com, just type in you know, Fantasy Sports Daily. He is... Third in home runs at first base the last two years. Fourth in RBIs the last two years. Fifth in runs scored the last two years. And eighth in Woba. So this is a, a player that not only has been extremely consistent two years in a row, he's a guy that's producing upper-end numbers. I mean, he's gone 30, 90, 85, or 84, excuse me, in two straight years. And again, this is not elite-level stuff, but when you can get you know, 30, 90, 80, and you've seen it a couple years in a row and you look at his age and you look at his ballpark and you look at his, his, his overall profile and feel very confident about the opportunity for him to do that again. You start to get interested in the guy because he, he falls behind the others. He's not someone that anyone says we got to push up a draft board. He's not someone that anyone gets excited about. And right now he's barely being taken inside the top 90 over in the NFBC in the month of February. Yeah, he's a he's a settle at first base, but he's a good settle mm -hmm. at first base. Um and, and don't forget, Ray, 11 steals last year. This was one of those guys where you can point to the rule changes and say, well, it must have did something for Christian Walker. In his career coming into last year, he had 12. And that's since 2014. This is a player, Ray, that, that came up with some prospect pedigree, but it took a long time for it to kind of click. And they had to get Goldschmidt out of the way and bring in Walker. And he's not to the level Goldschmidt was at his best in Arizona. Because I guess the knock, Ray, is the average is never 
gonna be like 275. It's you know, this is a guy where you're gonna, you know, can he hit 260? Yeah, but Ray, mm-hmm. this could also be a guy who falls into the low 240s if mm-hmm. if the strikeouts start to pile up on him. Yeah, I think that for when you when you look at him, you try to profile Christian Walker out, you say to yourself, it's league average batting average, right? That's what I'm gonna get. And this kind of player, to your point with the steals, it the the value drastically changes in the overall scope of things if it's three steals or eleven, right? Because it does make a big difference. Because there's a lot of guys that have power that don't have a great batting average. So any little booster we can get with Walker would be great in the steals category. You can't count on him going double digits again, but we saw it last year. Yeah. I think that you know you say two fifty to yourself, league average is right about there. Okay, I think that one thing he has done a better job of lately, which I'm not going to rule out the possibility it's 271 here, right? I think it's in the realm, right? It's not likely, but it's in the realm. Last two years, he struck out less than 20% of the time in the K rate, which is really good. Yeah. Really good for a guy that's hit 30 home runs both years. So there's a chance he surprises and hits 271 one of these seasons. But yeah, he's more likely to hit 241 than he is to hit 271. So there's our uh, shortened player profile of Christian Walker as we uh, get set to preview the Diamondbacks. What we're also going to have each day um, four more fantasy relevant questions. And uh, these are things we won't go real deep in on, but we'll give you our perspective. Uh, for the Diamondbacks, Ray, number one would be this. What's next for Corbin Carroll? Like, is there more? And, and you know, <laughs> I, I feel like a jerk, you know. Okay, that was awesome, man. I mean, you were one of the best rookies we've seen in the last 10 years. What more can you do, Corbin Carroll? And I, I guess... It, he still, Ray, is a tough guy to kind of watch and say, wow, this player is putting up those numbers. Because he doesn't look the part of like a great major league player. He looks honestly like a fourth outfielder. That's what he looks like. He looks a lot like Alec Thomas and Jake McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. we'll get to those guys in a bit. Yeah. But Corbin Carroll, Ray, um, is one of the best hitters in baseball after a year. I mean, he just, or has the skill set and the the five-by-five five production. Is there something more he can give us? Well, I think that yeah, their answer, to answer your question directly, yes. It's the likelihood question. I think we might end up with a scenario where it's it's a Mike Trout-like start to his career, you know, where Mike Trout set a career best and steals his first full season and never got back there. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, if he's healthy, that Corbin Carroll doesn't steal 40 bases. But 50-plus yeah. bases, even in the new era, is a lot. Um, to your point, he's 5'10" maybe 170 pounds. And Jeff Manns has, has talked about this for years. He's like, I watch this guy and it's like, how? And then you're watching him. He's hitting 430 foot home runs to left center. It's like, geez, man, this is so, something. But I think he's more of a 20 home run hitter than a 30 home run hitter. Mm-hmm. So when you say 2550 last year, if it becomes 2141 this year, are people going to be disappointed with that? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Because I think some people are drafting him saying, well, we're going to have 3050 this year or 36. I think it's very smart to look at the numbers from last season and say, that's the ceiling. He could do it again, but that's the ceiling. I shouldn't be expecting that even when I'm paying a first-round price for him. Question two. Carroll was considered the best of the crew, but Ray, Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy, it was kind of seen as the outfield of the future, Mm -hmm. McCarthy, Thomas, and and Carroll. Um, McCarthy was pretty good in 22 and then awful last season. Alec Thomas didn't do much last season, but had a decent postseason. Mm -hmm. Right now in ADP, and this is amongst outfielders, Alec Thomas is 81st. Jake McCarthy is 94th. Should these guys, are are they good gets at that cost? Is there something still available for them? Like Carroll's the star. Can these guys get to be good, you think, this year? Well, I think at the price you're paying there, both of them would be fine to draft or either one of them, someone I'm drafting and I'm going, hell yeah. Eh. I think in the case of Alec Thomas, he's the proverbial Andrew Benintendi type of hitter, right? 15 home runs, maybe steals to 10 bases, bats 270. Think He doesn't have a profile that suggests, you know, he's going to hit 300 with 20 home runs. Like it's that, that's just not in his profile. So he's kind of boring. McCarthy has a hit tool that's starting to, grow more concerning as, as time goes along here, but he can run. And so if there's one of the two that's exciting, it's McCarthy because he does play good defense. If there's an opportunity because Thomas gets hurt or Laura Skirty Al gets hurt or something like that, and we've seen uh, we've seen this happen from McCarthy, he could rip off 20 steals in half a season. So I think McCarthy at the price point is the one I'd be more interested in. I also think that McCarthy's floor is lower than Thomas because there's questions about 
you know, is he anything other than a fourth outfielder? Will he ever be anything other than a fourth outfielder? Uh, question three with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, no respect for Merrill Kelly. None. Last year, Merrill Kelly, 12 wins, a 3-2-9 ERA, a 1-1-9 whip, and he even had more than a strikeout per inning. Ray, he is currently the 61st pitcher off the board. Is he being disrespected? And 64, well, that, that includes relievers, but yeah, that that's, that's disrespect. Yeah. That includes disrespect. I have him, you know, ranked <laughs> as a SP3 at fantasyguru.com, which I think people should. And I think in the case of Kelly, he's uh, he's 35. And th it's almost like there's a reaction because he was strong toward the end of the season and into the postseason, right? There's almost no reaction of everyone saying, well, he's not that guy. Let's pull back. So I wonder if his ADP doesn't start to inch up as we get closer to the season and people start to realize that, okay, we, we took this a little too far. Like we, we went a little too far with the, he's not that good talk. He's been extremely consistent uh, in the last two years in particular uh, have been really good efforts. Is it, is it likely he repeats the strikeout rate? No. Uh, is he still going to throw 180 innings with 169 strikeouts? Very likely. Uh, his whip is not a standout number, which I think it has been the last two years, but I think it's fair to say that the walk rate ticked up last year. And so if his whip is 129, Instead of 119, he loses that advantage that he has because the ceiling with him is lower than other guys that you really want to target on draft day. One of my biggest fantasy mistakes last year was dumping him in late April. He had like a really awful start against the Dodgers, just got crushed, and the start of the season was rough. His April was no good. And I dumped him and could have used him at many times later <laughs> in the season. Uh, question four. Paul Seawald, is he on thin ice as the closer, Ray? He came over a deadline deal mm -hmm. from Seattle and was not good with Arizona. Now, again, you're talking, you know, 10 to 15 outings and so one bad out. But he, he wasn't the shutdown guy. Better in the playoffs, but then the World Series was rough. Um, is is he, I think he's the guy entering the year, but but how thin is that ice underneath his feet? I really like the skills here uh, with him in terms of, can he convert, continue to convert in the ninth inning? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, 20 saves a couple of years ago, 34 saves last year. He only had five blown saves last season. So for the most part, he was effective at getting the save, even if it wasn't super sexy, exciting, like you're talking about, even if there were some struggles there. I don't think that looking at this group in Arizona, you see names like Miguel Castro, Kevin Ginkle, Scott McGuff, who they brought in uh, from overseas, Mantiply. Like they have options, but none of these guys have a history of success in the ninth inning, in the big leagues at least. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, Seawald's the guy. And we know that one of the big indicators of getting the next save opportunity is he got the last save opportunity. That's the way it kind of goes. And I think in the case of Paul Seawald, he's got enough um, positivity built up in his track record that he is the guy. I think he can have success in that role. And without there being an obvious, this guy's done it before, this guy is someone we really can count on in the ninth inning option, I think that Seawald's still a pretty good bet to be a 30-save guy this year. Um, guys added in the offseason, Jock Peterson, that was just within the last week or two, uh, probably going to be a DH bat against righties. Um, Eugenio Suarez, one of the early moves in the uh, postseason. Um, he was traded from Seattle to Arizona. Uh, Tucker Barnhart, for what it's worth, a backup catcher. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez um, signed uh, to back up Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallen, uh, pretty decent signing there. As you look at the squad, uh, prospect to watch Ray Jordan Lawler, shortstop. Um, I don't, I don't know if he's going to break camp with this team. I honestly, the shortstop they got, Perdomo, is a hell of a good defender. I was impressed with him like crazy in October. He isn't a great hitter. Lawler's going to be the guy, but I don't know if they're going to force the issue early in the season. It's a good question. He he doesn't turn twenty two until like the All Star break, Lawler. So there's no real we got to do it now. And there were, you know. There were struggles last year for him, and that's not surprising. It's a young guy's first taste of the big leagues. Uh, he is the future. He is a potential fantasy superstar. There's no doubt about that. Will that be this season? That's the open-ended question. Because of the expectations now being higher, this is not a team that's now, well, we win 82 games, we're in a good spot. The expectations are high now. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense to go with Perdomo, who, to your point, is a good Major League Baseball player, is a good defender. Nowhere near the offensive you know, outlook for Lawler, but – it's very fair to think that if, if things go to plan and, and, and they get to April 1st that way, the Perdomo will be the guy and Lawler probably see some time in the minors. Well, and, and I know a lot of prospect lists are kind of circulating for the upcoming year. And uh, I saw Keith Law's uh, prospect top 100 last week. I think he had Lawler in the top five. 
Mm -hmm. um, as it, now, that is a baseball player. That's not a fantasy player. You know, that's not immediate. Um, you know, there are guys on there who may not make a debut in the major leagues till two years from now. Lawler made his debut last year. We'll see him this year. Uh, we'll have to see what kind of immediacy. Is is he worth a stash, Ray? Like, is he a guy at the end of a draft, 27th round, throw throw a name, Jordan Lawler, onto your board? Oh, I think it, I think it really will depend what happens in spring. Uh, he could be available in the 27th round everywhere. He might end up being drafted in the 17th round if we're hearing he's got, you know, so it's one of those. I think he is definitely on the list of guys that if I'm going to throw a dart at a rookie this season, he's a top 10 guy. Yeah. So, yeah, to your point, if, if your league scenario plays out that way, he is definitely someone you can target. Last thing on Arizona, um, and this is just a, a name, Ray, two things here. Uh, take a chance on who? That's a great question because everyone, I think, is pretty well valued at their cost. Um, I'd go McCarthy. I, McCarthy's the best in terms of – offense because of the potential he could steal 40 bases if he played all season long so yeah mm -hmm. i think mccarthy that's fair pass on guy you're not really interested in on this team mine is going to be brandon fought yeah and, and i threw him out there because ray the the postseason he kind of got a lot of attention you know mm -hmm. as, as they made their run he was a pretty bad pitcher most of last year i wouldn't i wouldn't get fired up on brandon fought I'd probably say Jock Peterson just because we know he's going to be platooned. He doesn't run. He's not a batting average guy. If you're in a league that, you know, head to head and you change your lineup every day, that's different than like in a roto setup. But Jock Peterson's kind of what he is. Okay. That is a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks for the upcoming year tomorrow, Atlanta. So we'll start with a couple of biggies in the National League. We'll do the Braves coming up tomorrow. A couple of quick things before we get out of here. Yasmani Grandal has joined Pittsburgh on a minor league deal. Uh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, Felix Bautista, who had just an insanely awesome 2023, then blew out his elbow, um, did have a couple of other procedures on the elbow here recently. Um, not setbacks per se, but uh, just so you know, he's not he's not going to pitch this year. Yeah, 2025 for Bautista. And there was a trade over the weekend. Uh, Minnesota trading Nick Gordon, not D. Nick is his brother, trading Minnesota to my uh, Minnesota trading him to Miami. Um, now, in return, Minnesota got a, a middle reliever, Steve Okert. Uh, but, Ray, Nick Gordon's a guy that, you know, these things happen fast. 2022 was good for Nick Gordon. 2023 was bad for Nick Gordon. Uh, he goes to Miami. I don't think there's a starting position, but he will still start because he can move around with this team. Yeah, he'll play a good deal. He's a strong option in an NL-only scenario, of course. He qualifies at maybe second base and outfield, maybe just outfield in your league. But he does move around and play multiple positions. I think that um, he could be their younger version of John Birdie, right? The guy that they're looking yeah. at now. Gordon could do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. If he falls into daily playing time, we could be talking about him in season as a pickup in a lot of mixed leagues. Yeah, so maybe something to follow. Minnesota, Miami, I should say, looking for a little bit of offensive juice. We've talked about that before in the Gordon edition. Pretty decent one for that team. Well, that will do it for us on this edition of Fantasy Sports Daily. Uh, a lot of football today with the Super Bowl and plenty of baseball. Uh, mentioned tomorrow, third baseman. Uh, we'll talk the Atlanta Braves. We'll hit you with news and notes. Ray, we'll have more from the draft guide. I think tomorrow also, it's basketball day with Justin Finsterman, so he'll stop in. Uh, Ray, lick your wounds. You're looking good. You don't look any worse for the wear. Thank you. Uh, tough one last night, but uh, go get them next year. Okay, Tiger? Okay, Kyle. Sounds great. And we'll be back to uh, go get you, I guess, uh, coming up in 23 hours or so. 11 Eastern tomorrow. Big thank you to everybody who has uh, been listening, viewing, following, wherever you're at today. This has been Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com.